77 of the Survival Podcast. Today, guys, we have a listener feedback shows your questions, comments, etc. to me by email. A few of them are from things like YouTube comments and stuff like that. We can dig into it anyway. Welcome back to another week of the Survival Podcast. I hope everybody's weekend was as productive as mine. I didn't get everything done I wanted to get done, but I got a lot done, and we'll tell you a little bit about some of that today. Uh, TSP 23, uh, the tickets, uh, ticket sale has come and gone in record time. Four freaking minutes. Four minutes sold out for the year. Um, I, I just want to say to all of you coming, thank you, and I'm humbled. I'm humbled to be able to sell out an event of this size in four minutes flat um, and to be able to still do that 15 years in. Thank you so much for that. Uh, and the number of people coming who are coming again, who have been here many times before, is huge once again. And, and thank you for that. The fact that people keep coming back uh, means a lot to me. What else are we going to talk about today? Governor Karen is at it again. Of course, I'm talking about New Mexico's governor, governor who I won't even bother saying her real name. She is forever Shelby until there is a, a superior Karen in government. She shall be Governor Karen. She's at it again. She had her uh, unconstitutional executive order smacked down with a TRO for you non-legal types. That's a temporary restraining order. She's now revised it, and we'll see where it goes from there. We'll just talk about that one real quick. We're also going to talk about another politician, uh, Mayor Mayor Kyle, I guess we could call him, uh, Eric Adams, actually, right, uh, in, in uh, New York City. He wanted New York City to be a sanctuary city. So now it is. They've got about 100,000, 110,000, something like that, migrants come in in the last year. And he says it's destroying his city. Well, I'll let you tell him, I'll let him tell you about it when we get to that segment. It's, it's awful funny to listen to these liberals talk shit about, you know, everybody that doesn't do what they say you should do is a racist until they have the problem themselves. So we'll talk about that. And then we're going to talk about something. I've been getting a lot of questions lately. What did you call? What was the word you had for that, et cetera? What was, uh, somebody asked me about Pornell's Iron Law of Bureaucracy today. And I got like six emails that were similar to this in the past week. So I don't know what's going on there. But there's one asking me for something that I don't really remember saying. I, somebody's asked me for a word that I used or a phrase that I used. When uh, something that is supposed to help actually does damage, but it's not really that it is supposed to help. It's actually supposed to do the damage, like letting untold numbers of illegal immigrants into a country with no plan for what to do about them once they get here. Um, But what it made me think of is something that keeps coming up in the comments, so I'm going to talk about it. And it is uh, Posawid. Posawid, I guess would be how you'd say it. P-O-S-I-W-I-D, and that is the purpose of a system is what it does, not what it claims to do or purports to do. We'll talk about that. Uh, We'll also talk about how to get your hands on subprimals. You know, I did a show recently. It was uh, was pretty popular, I think. It was uh, one that seemed like it went really well, and um, 
Uh, some people have been trying to do it, and that was on cutting meat and getting your own subprimals and breaking them down. And a guy said he went to Costco and asked one of the meat guys if he could get something. Now, he didn't tell, when, I, he, when he followed up with me, he didn't say what he said. And I said, you know, if you told the guy you wanted a subprimal, he might not know what you're talking about. But generally, if you say you want a shoulder clod or a chuck roll or something like that, those guys are pretty good about that. Now, not every Costco might have stuff like that available. One thing you might want to do is look in the meat case and see what they have in the meat case. Because if they don't have, like, chuck roasts and stuff like that in the meat case, they probably don't have any chuck rolls in the back, yeah? But uh, we'll talk about ways that you can actually get your hands on this stuff. And a lot of the Costco's have uh, some of these things just out in the open all the time, except they're usually the more expensive uh, cuts, like the New York strips and the ribeye uh, rolls and things like that. But we'll tell, I'll give you some ideas on that. Then I've been getting a bunch of questions about what's going on with Berkey water filters and the EPA's bullshit. Um, the EPA says that Berkey water filters are now a pesticide. Well, I hadn't been talking about it much because we did talk about it on the first Tuesday chat with Nicole and John Willis. But I got to always remind myself that doesn't go into my podcast feed. So not all of you guys listen to that. So I'll tell you. And it was also I was waiting to hear, like, what was Berkey's response to this? Well, they have a press release out. And I can now tell you definitively how the EPA is claiming that a mechanical filtration device is, in fact, a pesticide. And I hadn't said much on it because the explanation that I was given, which is since they claim it filters bacteria, didn't make sense. This, well, it makes sense. It's still stupid. And it all has to do with silver. Silver, yeah. Um now, when we talk about alphabet agencies in the government, they they don't really uh, tend to get anything right. And so I guess kind of like a, a kissing cousin of the EPA is the FDA. And they've had something wrong for like 45 years or so. And we'll tell you about that today. And it, it, it's so blatantly wrong. It shows a problem with the entire FDA and in this case, this is an over-the-counter medication, but these are the same people that approve prescription medications, which can do a lot more damage to people if you get it wrong, as we've seen in the past. Um, what do you do if your squash only makes male flowers for you? We'll talk about that. Sometimes it's not the problem people think it is, but this late in the year, uh, getting this email tells me that this was a different problem just then male flowers come first. So we'll talk about that. Uh, we will just kind of stick to the garden stuff for the last couple of things. Uh, somebody grew some of the pink Chinese celery that I recommend and said, hey, this stuff's pretty bitter. So we'll talk about, like, what is a cutting celery versus a bunching celery? And there really can be the same thing. It depends on how you take care of your celery, whether you blanch it or not. And uh, a lot of people don't. I don't, but I'll tell you how to do it if you want your celery to be more sweet and tender rather than really assertive. I don't consider it bitter. I consider it very assertive in celery flavor. And I use pink Chinese celery in small amounts in salads, and I use it for cooking. Uh, and so I'm looking for a stronger flavor. If I actually go buy celery in the store, I will use all the outer parts for my mirepoix when I'm cooking and things like that. I want that assertive flavor um, from the celery when I'm cooking with it. And if I'm going to eat it raw, then I want that inner white, uh, nicer tasting, more tender stalk that they call the heart. 
And uh, we'll talk about that and how you get a heart of celery from your celery. All you really need is a piece of string or something like a torn rag. And then I'm going to talk about our item of the day today and how I would use it because something cool uh, is going on. There's a deal of the day on the number one selling item off T-Spaz, uh, which are the galvanized four foot by eight foot long raised garden beds. It's shipped with panels so you can bolt them together. And uh, if you do that, uh, then, you know, they, they can ship them for less. And they're on sale today for 125 bucks. Well, they're normally about 150 And I said when I brought this item to you, I, I can't see a way that you could buy the lumber to build a raised bed, especially two feet high, for 120 bucks a bed, for a four foot by eight. 120, 100, 150 bucks a bed for 125 shipped and something that will never rot or fall apart on you. It's a hell of a deal. Well, I've had people asking me, like, I got one. What do I do now? Like, what's my setup procedure? And I'm like, you mean bolting it? No, I got that. You can't bolt it together. You probably shouldn't be trying to grow anything. But, uh, like, how would I, you know, build the fill? And I'll talk about that today and why I would do it as I would do it. Before we get into all this, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsors of the day today. Sponsor of the day number one today is Start9 Embassy Servers. With Start9, you can take back your digital sovereignty. You can have end-to-end encrypted messaging with only the people you let in to use the app and set up an account with your server. So not only is it end-to-end encrypted beyond what anybody can decrypt, uh, then most of them wouldn't even see it because they don't even know it's there because they're not part of the action, so to say. You can store all your files and access them from anywhere in the world, fully encrypted and even over Tor. Uh, If you wanted to do that, you would get off using what people call cloud services this way. Cloud services are, well, it's a bullshit marketing term. In the words of Paul Wheaton, no, that's just marketing. There is no cloud. There's just somebody else's computer. It's not like your stuff's in a cloud somewhere. It's on a computer somewhere else. And with Start9, you can make all of that go away. And that will bring us to our next sponsor today, which I try to always put these guys together because I feel like they pair perfectly. And this is above phone. Above phone lets you take back your communication device from big tech. The big companies out there, AT&T, T-Mobile, et cetera, all the app makers as well, they're all tracking and tracing everything that you do, and they do report information to the government constantly. There's even a program that all of this goes into together along with uh, search engines like Google and social media outlets as well. It's called a PRISM, PRISM program. I almost call it the prison program, and that's because the people behind it probably belong in prison. But Above Phone is just an excellent company with a great option to have a completely private ecosystem for your apps. But if you need to be able to run an app that is only available through like the Google Play Store or whatever, you can give it its own little jail cell, and it only does whatever it's going to do when you allow it to, when you decide you want to use it. It is a great system, and by the way, they give you 75 bucks off any of the phones at AbovePhone.com if you are an MSB member. I should have mentioned, too, when we were talking about Start9, Start9 also does a discount for MSB uh, members, and that is 9%, which is a heck of a great discount. But real quick, too, I also wanted to, again, thank you guys who uh, signed up to come to TSP23. Um I always expect that it sells out within, you know, 20 minutes or so, maybe to a half an hour. Some years it's an hour. Uh, to have it sell out in four minutes kind of blew even me away. Like, I, I didn't really expect that. 
And so I know that when you do that, not only do you have a great feeling of accomplishment, but you also have a kind of a little bit of a regret feeling. And that is, I know if I had the space and I was able to do an event the right way uh, for folks that I would have been able to very easily uh, sell, sell 100 tickets. Right. And, and every year when I do this, there are people that I know on a first name basis who don't get in. And I, I have to say no. Like we found our limit with 50 sold seats. We know that's what we can do right. We can take care of everybody, spend time talking to everyone uh, without feeling like a completely burnt out at the end of the event. Uh, everybody feels like they got time with me uh, along with each other. Our food service just goes a lot better without an extra, you know, 15, 20 people added on top of that number, et cetera. Uh, so I feel bad for those who can't come. I have a wait list already that's fairly long. Um, so one of the things you could do if you want to come hang out with some cool people and you didn't get into TSP 23 is come to the Self-Reliance Festival uh, up in Camden, Tennessee. And right now they're kind of pushing, hey, you know, you can upgrade to a VIP pass, which has some really cool stuff like a VIP dinner that you get to come to and hang out with the speakers such as myself. And in this picture, uh, Joel Salatin and John Willis himself. Right. So there is uh, another alternative. And I just wanted to mention that there's a link in the notes today and there should be a link in the video notes below for you as well. With that, let's dig into kind of the meat and potatoes, so to say, of today's show. And of course, I just closed the tab that I need. So let me see if I can find where we need to be. Yeah, we need to get to Governor Karen. And here she is. Governor Karen has revised her executive order. And I'm going to say some things right now that if if you don't pay attention to what I'm saying, you might think I'm saying that I in some way agree with Governor Karen here. And if I did, I probably wouldn't be referring her, referring to her as Governor Karen. I have to say, like, is this not the most Karen of Karens you've ever seen? Like, I think if we ever found like the mother nest where Karens come from, this is this would be the Queen Karen or somebody that looks a lot like this would be the Queen Karen that you would find for those watching the video instead of just the audio here. Um, but she has revised her executive order. And I'm going to tell you why I think it could be possible that the courts might let this order stand. Now, I'm not saying they should, just to be clear here. I'm saying they might. So if you haven't heard this, let's start with the beginning. Governor Karen said there's too much crime. There were some shootings in Albuquerque. We need to take the pause button and we just need to suspend everybody's Second Amendment rights. So she banned the carrying of guns concealed or open by permitted licensed carriers, by the way. Right. So it, I don't think New Mexico is a constitutional carry state like Texas and many other states are where you don't need a permit to carry anymore. Uh, so these were licensed carriers under concealed license uh, or uh, open carry license or what have you. And she said, we don't need these people carrying because we have a health emergency, right? We have a health emergency. So the people went apeshit over this. The state attorney general, the, the sheriff for the county that Albuquerque's in, and the police chief all said, yeah, we're not going to do that. Governor Karen said, yes, you will. And they said, yeah, make us. And, of course, she really can't. 
Her excuse for doing this, by the way, was she said, if you want to build consensus on gun legislation, I'm here to tell you you can't. So Governor Karen banned guns unilaterally with executive action because she couldn't get the legislature to do it. And that's her justification. Well, a judge looked at this and said, yeah, no. TRO, a TRO again, temporary restraining order. What that means is the judge in the case says this is immediately null and void pending a hearing or actual case trial because I don't think you can win. That's why they issue a TRO. Like there's such a likelihood that the people bringing this will succeed that there's no reason for it to be left in place until the actual court date. And so she got smacked down and any reasonable person at that point would realize that it's time to stop carroting. And I have made Karen into a verb with the, with the ING carroting. I think I created that and go do something more useful or productive, like, you know, actually see to the needs of your people instead of trying to take away guns from people who are the safest people on the planet. People with background checks and concealed carry permits are the least likely to offend and commit crimes, period, across the board, not just violent crimes. And specifically at a time where you have these shootings going on, where the thing you most need is a good guy with a gun to stop a bad guy with a gun, and you're going to take the gun away. In fact, the uh, the sheriff said that his brother was the victim of a gun uh, a gun shooting. And uh, a shooting, actually a gun shooting, what other kind of shooting is there? Um, he didn't end up dead, but he had, somebody took shots at his car. And he said, I'm not going to call my brother up and tell him he can't carry his gun to defend himself. Um, she decided to narrow the scope. And what she said is, well, you can carry your guns everywhere except for parks and uh, one other uh, place she said you couldn't do it. I don't remember now what it is, but like parks and playgrounds. That's what it was, parks and playgrounds. And it's a temporary 30-day thing like she started out the first one. Of course, nothing is so permanent as a temporary program if you let a politician get away with it. Well, I'm sure she'll be sued again over this. But I'll tell you why they might, the court might allow this to hold or at least not do a TRO and let it hold until trial is because it is a narrow scope. And that is something courts are far more likely to side with, especially on the initial hearing is if a scope is narrow. Her other scope was very broad. And she may be saying, as the governor, uh, I have oversight of public property, and in my view, we need to do this. Now, what's really interesting is that when she had the broad order, the place that people went to protest and carry guns and say, come arrest us if you think you can, Governor Karen. And, of course, police chiefs like, go ahead, guys, I'm not doing nothing. Um was parks. They went to public parks to protest peacefully. So this could set up an interesting an interesting confrontation with the law enforcement officers who already said they don't want to do this, the governor and the people. Because if the people go out and protest again, now it's no different than last time, really. The cops are like, we're not doing it. But if the court allows it, it puts the sheriff in a different or the police chief in a different situation. Now, I want to say one thing, and this is not a defense of Governor Karen, but I have heard a lot of people, uh, specifically on social media, calling for Governor Karen to be arrested. They want the sheriff to go arrest Governor Karen. No, 
That is not constitutional. That is not within the sheriff's authority. I know people have been convinced that sheriffs are like God or something, and they can do anything they want. No, it's not how it works. They are the highest law enforcement officers for their county. They are above, let's say, the police chief, though they have different jurisdiction. It would be potentially lawful for the sheriff to say this will not be enforced. And if some other law enforcement agency came out to enforce it, to possibly arrest them or prevent them from arresting a citizen, it would not be under the sheriff's authority to go and arrest the sitting governor, specifically unless the attorney general issued charges against her. If they filed charges or filed for a warrant, right, if you had the the highest law enforcement officer in the state, in the attorney general, set up charges and the governor failed to appear, then it would be within the rights of law enforcement, period. It could be the police chief, the sheriff, whoever, to go pick her up and bring her in. But you don't just go arrest a governor over a legislative action, no matter how wrong it is. This falls to the New Mexico uh, legislature, who won't do anything, by the way. They won't do anything. But the, if there's something to be done with a governor in this situation anyway, it's not like she robbed a bank. It is up to the legislature to bring articles of impeachment. And they probably will do absolutely nothing. Moving on to other uh, members of our government, government and their idiocy, let's hear from uh, New, New York City Mayor Eric Adams right now. This is... On some levels, this is delicious. I'm just going to say, listen to this guy who campaigned on the following. This is what Eric Adams campaigned on. New Mexico is and will remain a sanctuary city. We will be welcoming to all migrants, no matter what their supposed legal status is, because it's the right thing to do. This is the campaign that got this man elected. And now you're going to hear him blame Governor Abbott, my governor in the state of Texas, for his problems in New York City because he's a madman that put these people on a bus and shipped them to New York City. Well, I'm going to show you after we hear from Mr. Adams and I talk a little bit about what he has to say, how ridiculous it is that he thinks a number like 110,000 is a big deal based on how many people a day are crossing the southern border. And the majority of them, let me just tell you, the majority of the southern border crossings are on Texas's border. And it's simply because our border is the longest one. So we're dealing with numbers that make this look like a day at Disneyland. And some of those people, you know, when they're offered a ride, they go to New York City. And this is what Mr. Adams has to say about it. With a madman down in Texas decided he wanted to bus people up to New York City. 110,000 migrants. We have to feed, clothe, house, educate the children, wash their laundry sheets, give them everything they need, health care. And this team here, we stated, let's do everything possible before we have to push it out into neighborhoods and communities. Month after month, I stood up and I said, this is going to come to a neighborhood near you. Well, we're here. We're here. We're getting no support on this national crisis. And we're receiving no support. And let me tell you something, New Yorkers. Never in my life have I had a problem 
that I did not see an ending to. I don't see an ending to this. I don't see an ending to this. This issue will destroy New York City. Destroy New York City. We're getting 10,000 migrants a month. One time we were just getting Venezuela. Now we're getting Ecuador. Now we're getting Russian speaking coming through Mexico. Now we're getting uh, Western Africa. Now we're getting people from all over the globe have made their minds up that they're going to come through the southern part of the border and come into New York City. And everyone is saying it's New York City's problem. Every community in this city is going to be impacted. We got a $12 billion deficit that we're going to have to cut. Every service in this city is going to be impacted. All of us. And so I say to you, as I turn it over to you, this is some, some of the most educated, some of the most knowledgeable, probably more of my commissioners and deputy commissioners and chiefs live in this community. So as you ask me a question about migrants, tell me what role you played. How many of you organized to stop what they're doing to us? How many of you were part of the movement to say, we're seeing what this mayor is trying to do, and they're destroying New York City. It's going to come to your neighborhoods. All of us are going to be impacted by this. I said it last year when we had 15,000. I'm telling you now, with 110,000, the city we knew, we're about to lose. And we're all in this together. Do you understand the level of bullshit and buck passing you just heard at the end there right i mean come on so his citizens are telling him this is a problem he's saying yeah it's a problem but what have you done why haven't you guys, New York City citizens and residents, that, by the way, are swimming in the worst inflation that this country has seen in most living people's lifetimes, with some of the highest real estate prices and the highest taxes anywhere in the country, frankly, anywhere in the world. There are very few places in the world where a person will pay more in taxes than a U.S. citizen who makes a decent income, which you have to do, and lives in New York City. I mean, it, it's insane. Why haven't you organized to get us support? Now, I'm not going to play it, but AOC went out and did a little conference in the streets in New York City about this issue. It did not go well for her. New Yorkers are pissed, and they shouted her down. And whoever the dude was with her at the end said, we were not be bullied. We're not going to have democracy being bullied. I think... People being pissed off at their elected officials and telling them to their face they're pissed off at them and they're not okay with their solutions is democracy in action, not bullying. Um, but her solution is we need a bunch of federal money brought in here so we can give these people jobs and support and education. Because what else is going on in New York City right now? You can look it up for yourself if you doubt me, but you should know by now when Jack tells you something, he has a reason for telling you. And it's very seldom that I'm wrong. But what's being reported is there are districts now 
where white kids, and it's probably not just white kids to be fair, but specifically white kids are being expelled from school, not because they did something wrong, but to make room for illegal immigrants because they have to go to school. They don't have the resources your parents do. You're rich. Clearly you're rich. You're white and you go to school in New York City. You can go to private school. Out. Get out of the way. We need desk space for these people. And this is not just New York City doing this. I saw pictures over the weekend. They're setting up temporary shelters in Chicago at O'Hare Airport. These two cities have been bastions of we are sanctuary cities, which is real easy to say when you are, you know, a thousand plus miles, almost 2000 miles from the border in the case of New York City. Okay, really easy to say until it shows up in your back fucking yard. And there are people who have said that as a good libertarian, I should be opposed to all this shit. As a good anarchist, I should be opposed to all this thing. There's no such thing as an illegal immigrant. My position on this has been clear since 2008 when I started this show. You get rid of all the welfare and all of the concept of an obligation that we as a people, as a government, must take care of people. You go into the world if there is no free lunch and you mean it, and I'm for all the fucking borders being open. Okay? All of them. Unlimited immigration in that situation. Because it'll stop the people that are going to come here to leech off the system. We don't have that. So as long as we don't have that, if we're going to have a country with laws that I have to obey, then my fucking borders need to be protected. Period. I'm sorry. I would love to create a system that makes it easier for people who are productive people who want to be part of what we're doing and don't cause any trouble to come. That's not my place, though. That's that's above my pay grade, as we used to say back in the military. That is not what I do. I advocate for what I think we need, and then it's up to people to advocate themselves and to get it done. But to blame the citizens of New York City who elected this clown as their mayor when he promised to do exactly what he's done, which is, promote this ideology. And the person that this guy should be pissed off at and the mayor of Chicago should be pissed off at is not, you know, Greg Abbott. All Greg Abbott's doing is is realizing that the cost of a Greyhound bus ticket to anywhere other than Texas is less than the cost of providing support for these people. And I want to show you right now how bad this problem is and how bad it's become since the guy that should be getting the blame took over. Of course, I'm talking about Brandon. This is the number of board for those that are I'll explain it for those that are listening to the audio as best I can. This is the number of encounters at the border by Border Patrol agents with migrants. This is not a count of how many they arrested. This is how many they've encountered. Some they arrest and deport. Most of them they allow to go into the country somewhere else. If you look at the red line on the bottom, it runs from October to September um, so it, I think they did this graph this way on purpose. They did the fiscal year, which makes it a little hard to sort out. But this is 2020, right? And you can look that the contacts were at or around or below 50,000 a month. Right here, you can see that as soon as September ended, we went into October and November, it jumped. And then Trump lost the election. It started to creep up. But right there is where Brandon took over. And it goes parabolic. It goes in two months from about, what is that, about 75,000 up to about 175,000. 
And then a few months later, it's hitting 213,000 encounters. Trails off a little bit at the end of the year. Goes into 2022 and goes ape shit. Starts out at 164,000 in fiscal year 2022. Again, this is fiscal year, not calendar year. Trails off a little bit and then goes ape shit again, March. That is it. That is cross the border season, apparently. Peaked in fiscal year 2022 at 241,000 encounters. This is 2023. This is this year. Okay? Peaked at 252,000. And the lowest that it's been in this fiscal year, 144,000. This is Trump. This is all branded right here. This is an intentional policy. We're going to get to the system does what it's supposed to do in just a second, right? What the purpose of a system is. So Eric Adams is upset that 100,000 migrants are in New York City. Texas is dealing with the vast majority where we're having 200,000 plus a month come into the country. Completely unchecked. Completely unchecked. And he's worried about 100,000. Listen, bitch. Okay, this is what you wanted. And if you want to tell somebody you need support and you need something done, I suggest you call the fucking White House, because I think when you're the mayor of one of the largest cities in the world. The financial headquarters of the United States that you can talk to Brandon, I think he'll take your call. You need to call him. You need to get your ass on the phone to the mayor of Chicago. And the two of you need to say, close the fucking border down. And when he tells you you can't do it, say, well, the orange man did it. He didn't do it perfectly, but he did a hell of a lot better job than you're doing. Are you less confident than the orange man? You can give that answer yourself. But I'm telling you, that's a conversation I'd be having. Now, the problem for Eric Adams is if he does that, if I'm Brandon or Brandon's designated representative, I'm going to say, I'm sorry, Mayor, you were on board with this. You were on board with this. And this is this is how all of these bastards are. When they... They advocate for things. They're assuming that I will never have to personally deal with the consequences of this. And the political class is so protected that they're generally right. Now, people want to know how I'm okay with this. This is almost my plan. My plan is actually more severe than this. I can't go against what Abbott's doing because I advocated for it before Abbott was governor of Texas back in 08. This is what I said I would do. I said I would do exactly what he's doing, plus more. I said I would ship them anywhere they wanted to go. Free bus ticket when you get here. Federal government won't enforce the law. You, you don't have to because it would be illegal under that circumstance. But I had another level of my plan. This is my plan. You, can, you commit a felony in my state if I was governor of this state. The law I would push forward would say you get convicted of a felony. Now, this is convicted, not charged with. This is convicted of a felony. Not driving too fast, not driving without insurance, etc. You get convicted of a felony, you go to prison and you serve whatever time you're going to serve like anybody else would. Okay? But when it comes time for you to go on parole, you go on a own reconnaissance version of parole, and you are free to go anywhere you want. You're free to go home or anywhere else in the country. What you are not free to do is remain in the state of Texas for more than the next 48 hours. 
you need to get your ass out of Texas. Now, nobody's going to put a bracelet on you and see if you do it or not. This is what's going to happen. If you're found in the state of Texas, you are in violation of your parole. With an aggravating circumstances, you were here illegally in the first place. You go to state prison for 25 years. Oh, my God, you're not a good anarchist. Oh, no, 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 wait a minute. This, this is the person was already convicted of a felony and illegally in the United States and didn't have to go to prison. They could have just left, but they chose not to. So I'm all for what Abbott's doing. There's a lot of shit about Abbott that I hate. I don't hate this. I'm telling you, I would be busing as many as I could to Washington, D.C., because this is where the real problem comes from. I would be dropping off right in front of the Capitol steps and go, go in that. And some of you might remember me saying this years ago, more than a decade ago. Go into that round ass building and tell those fucking people in there that they need to figure out what to do to help you because they're the ones that said you can come. They're the ones that won't fix this fucking problem. So I have always been of the belief that people who cause problems should deal with the consequences of the problems that they cause. I don't necessarily think that they can fix it, but I don't care. What they could do is stop doing the thing that's making the problem so bad. So I have, I mean, I gave the same advice to my sister-in-law, who's a school teacher, when she was having a problem with a particular kid, and she would send the kid to the principal, and the principal would send the kid back to the class. I said, turn, the, turn it around and send him right the fuck back. Just keep sending that kid to the office. No, you tell that principal until they do something, you are not allowed back in my class. Put the problem in her office and she'll fix it. As long as she can defer the problem to you, she's not going to fix it. So this is very freaking consistent with how I've always suggested we solve problems is put it in the hands of the people that created the problem. Moving on. This is something that I have had quoted to me over and over again. I'm very familiar with this. Um, and this comes from a guy named Stamf uh, Stafford Beard. And this is a wonderfully glorious white bearded gentleman right here in front of you. And what he said, again, the purpose of a system is what the system does, not what it's claimed to do. This is a pretty interesting blog article on it. And instead of sending people to Wikipedia or some big site or something, I thought it'd be good to give you know a smaller blogger some um, some some exposure. So I have a link to this article. But here's a couple examples of how this concept alters the way that we view problems and we analyze a system. Example, the U.S. education system. Describe the specific results of the failure. Too many disengaged kids. Okay? Turn your description on its head with Poswit. Right? Purpose of the system is what it does. The U.S. education system is exceptionally well-designed and good at its purpose of controlling and boring kids so they disengage. Or Acme software product, too much churn, right? That's the result of the failure. Acme software product is extremely well-designed and effective at its purpose of getting customers interested enough to sign up and then leave. Now, I'm going to tell you how this applies to U.S. immigration, by telling you what's going on in Europe is as bad or worse than what's going on here in the United States. Europe is flooded with migrants from Central and North Africa. The TV keeps telling you it is North Africa. That is where they are coming from, as in 
most of our migrants in this country are coming from Mexico, but they're not from Mexico. We have plenty of Mexicans coming here, but El Salvadorans, et cetera, uh, are coming here. Nicaraguans, et cetera, Colombians. And you heard Adams, even people like from Russia are coming here through the southern border. What they're doing is that's the place to cross. That's the way you can get away with it. If you try to come in on an airplane, they won't let you unless you have proper travel credentials. So you get into, into any part of South America, work your way into Mexico, and then walk across the border. Right. So we have them coming from Mexico, even though they're not necessarily Mexicans. They have them coming from North Africa because that's the embarkation point where they can get into the EU. Okay, we have totally different systems. We're dealing with a total different primary demographic, because even though there's some Russians coming in and stuff like that, we are primarily dealing with people from Central and Northern South America coming into the United States. The Europeans are primarily dealing with people from north and uh, the central part of like the Sahel region of Africa coming in. Totally different problems, totally different government, totally different set of systems. Same problem. What does that tell you? If you are a thinking person who analyzes systems with the mindset here of Stanford beer or Stafford beer, then you should realize that means that this is what it's supposed to be doing. This is by design. This is planned. So then you should ask yourself, why? What is the purpose of this? And it is to fundamentally restructure Western culture forever because there are people that literally believe that we deserve it, that we deserve it. This is not a melting pot, which is what America, when people say, it's a country of immigrants. All of us came here from somewhere else, et cetera. Yes, yes. And traditionally, immigrants came to this country. They often did create little subcultures because you're comfortable with those you know. But their children were specifically taught to learn English and to adapt. So there were a lot of people that came here that felt like, you know, I'm in my 40s or my 50s. I may never fully speak English or understand everything. A lot of people came in and just grabbed onto it and made something out of it. But there were people, they did whatever they could to get here for their children. That's why they did it. And they wanted their children to grow up and be Americans. My father-in-law came here from Holland after World War II with his wife. Uh, they started a family, and he forbid his kids to speak Dutch in the home. They were to speak English. We are Americans. We speak English. The proudest day of his life was when he became an American. He was a Marine, a Dutch Marine, part of Reconstruction World War II. His father was part of the Dutch underground that basically was out doing things like sneaking Jews out of the country and killing Nazis. This is the kind of guy you wanted to come here. And he built his career and his life here in America. And he was very, very proud of that. If we want an immigration system like that, we need an immigration system that lets people like that get to the front of the line and come in. But we're not going to solve that today. But, but what they're doing, don't think they don't know. It's taking us an education system that's already shit the bed and ripping it asunder. How do you expect a teacher that's an underpaid hero that doesn't wear a cape, right? Okay? Yeah, then they should be put on a pedestal and worshipped or some shit the way some people act. How do you expect that person with a class of 20 to 30 kids that has four different languages in that group other than English to teach? Well, they can't. Even the limited shitty way that we run education today, which the purpose of the system is what it does, you're destroying even that. 
how do you get a country where you already have automation starting to take jobs, runaway inflation to work, bringing in tons of unskilled labor? Well, you don't. They're doing this on purpose. And the fact that the same shit is happening here in Europe at the same time with totally different demographics, the majority of people coming into the United States from Central and South America are either Catholic or no religious affiliation whatsoever. Some sort of form of atheist or atheist light. Like religion doesn't play a, a, a thing to them or the Roman Catholic. Why? It's not like Catholics, the Pope told them to come. Who knows? Maybe. Right. But as far as I know, the Pope didn't issue an edict and say, hey, go to America. That's because that's the primary religion. Right. Is Roman Catholic. The primary religion in North Africa and Central Africa is what? Muslim. So you got Muslims going into Europe. You got primarily Roman Catholics coming into the United States. The EU is a loose federation compared to the United States. They, each nation has its own laws. These nations have individual sovereignty. They could deny entry. Most are not. And the ones that do, like Hungary, they immediately label the freaking uh, president or pr prime minister or whatever of that country Hitler. Like they consider the, the, the president of Hungary Hitler. He's a Nazi. Why? Because he protects his country? Because he puts his people first? That makes him Hitler? This is being done by people with incredible power intentionally. This is why the orange man had to go. This is why there's like five criminal indictments or whatever it is on, you know, enough charges put the guy away for centuries because he dared speak the truth. Now, this isn't raw, raw Trump, raw, raw orange man for me. You know that. But the one thing that the establishment hates more than anybody else in politics is a populist. I can tell, say a person's a populist and they're out for the people first and not agree with everything they do. Because God knows I feel that way about Trump and God, know I, God knows I feel that way about RFK, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., right? I feel the same way about him, like he is a populist. Why haven't they attacked him anywhere near with the ferocity that they attacked Trump with. And let's take it back before Trump was elected, back when Trump was a candidate. They were already doing this, frothing at the mouth, because Trump could win. They'll call him, they'll call RFK a kook, they'll talk about his vaccine stances, etc., and they'll say he's a conspiracy theorist or whatever, and they'll shit on him. But they won't ferociously attack him the way they did the Orange Man, because the Orange Man is a double threat, populist that can win. Why do you think RFK's uh, uncle is dead? And is, well, I mean, really, like how many people out of family are gone? But I'm talking about the one that was president. Because he was a populist. JFK was far from perfect, but he was a populist. His greatest concern was doing the right thing for the American people. The minute you go to do that, you disrupt the agenda that these people have. You absolutely disrupt the agenda. And again, the purpose of the system is what it does. Let's move on. So a lot of you guys have been asking about this. This is another example of the purpose of the system is what it does. The stated purpose of the Environmental Protection Agency is to protect the environment and protect people. What I'm about to explain to you does neither one of those things. Berkey filters, if you, you can read this press release from Berkey themselves, so now you can get the truth instead of speculation. Berkey water filters are treated with silver, small amounts of silver. They do not leach into the water. No one's ever shown that you end up with silver in your water. Not that it would be a horrible thing if you had a little bit of silver in your water. 
um, a lot might, could be a problem. You turn blue like the Smurf guy. But why do they put silver in a freaking water filter? The same reason they put small amounts of silver in bandages that you put on a, a wound. It's antimicrobial. It kills bacteria. That's why you do it. The medical industry uses it all the time for that very reason. So Berkey's filters were labeled as treated with silver. That is something the EPA can regulate. So somebody at the EPA, for whatever reason, I don't know, I assume because they don't like what Berkey stands for, decided to use that and determined that the filters were a pesticide because silver can be used as a pesticide. Therefore, it uses silver. It is a pesticide. Now, this is interesting to me, and it's interesting to me because they are not the only water filters treated with silver. You can find Tremendous numbers of water filters treated with silver. And why do they do it? Do they do it so that the silver will kill bacteria in the water? No, the mechanical filtration does that. You can take the silver out and the mechanical filtration will still work. But what can happen is you have a wet, dark, room temperature environment in that filter zone, especially when the water comes down and the filter is exposed. That is a bacterial growth environment. So they impregnated the filters with silver so the filters would not grow bacterium. Now, I'm gonna, this, that's all fact, and it's all bullshit, and it's an example of an alphabet agency doing shit it is not supposed to be doing, but the system doing what it's supposed to do, which is run interference and cause problems for people. That's what the EPA does. It forces mandates on, on, on entities and individuals that otherwise would be unenforceable. That's the purpose of the EPA. My guess is for several decades, at least two decades, Berkey has told the state of California to go fuck itself in the ass with a box-style cheese grater. And what I mean by that is Berkey did all this testing to prove that they that their product did what, it, what they said it did. Okay, California said, yeah, we don't want those tests. We want these tests, and we want them done in these laboratories. Because we decided we did. And Berkey said, fuck yourself. We just won't sell in California. That's all they did. They didn't, they didn't fight it. They didn't sue. Some, I believe somebody in California that's part of this got fed up with it because basically Berkey's giving them the middle finger and got on the horn with somebody at the EPA or somebody from California in that line of work got hired into the Brandon administration and went to work for the EPA and turned around with a vendetta. It's not like it would be the first time that it happened. So there is no one has ever been made sick using a Berkey. There is no test results that were provided to anyone that showed anything was a problem here. This was simply a matter of a bureaucrat looking at a thing and going, can I do this thing under my purview, whether I'm supposed to or not, whether it benefits, because who benefits from this? I guess the only other party that might benefit would be a competitor, and there could be some of that in there, but I have no evidence of that. Except for, like I said, there are other water filters that are impregnated with silver particles that are not being attacked for this. There's plenty of products out there that have silver in them that are not um, regulated as pesticides. It's bullshit is what it is. And it's not like 
these people don't have a tendency to be wrong. Okay. And, and this is a different organization, but like, they're like incestuous cousins, the FDA and the EPA. So let me play this for you. This is, uh, again, uh, the FDA just released this information. This is a pretty short video. And uh, it might kind of glance right over your head if you don't really pay attention because it's so – the lady reading it has all of the charisma of a beer bottle. I mean, really, without the label on it, without the beer in it, and the bottle caps thrown away, like an empty – Label this beer bottle. Um, of course, I don't know that I'd be very charismatic reading this crap either, but here you go. Every drug approved over the past 30 years in the cough, cold, allergy space have demonstrated to be effective based on nasal symptom scores. More recent studies consisting of multi-center, parallel, randomized, blinded, placebo-controlled trials also showed that a 10 milligram dose of phenylephrine was not significantly different from placebo. The new data appear compelling that the monograph dose of oral phenylephrine results in no meaningful systemic exposure and no evidence of efficacy. If Okay, so if you didn't get that, this drug that these clowns approved back in the 70s, by the way, I did some research. She talks like it's about 20, 30 years ago. This was back in the 70s that this drug was approved by the FDA. And when they approved this crap, um, they said that they did testing and it showed that it worked. And they did testing all the way up to 2007 and that all the tests, all the trials ever done that included this drug showed that it was a good decongestion, that it decongested it, helped with your runny nose, basically. And But the new way they do the trials says it doesn't work. So there's only two options here. One, the FDA approved an over-the-counter medication for more than 40 years that doesn't fucking work, or the FDA is now taking away a medication that does work under the auspices of protecting the public. Either way, they fucked up, right? Like, there's... There's no way around this. There's no way around this. They, they, they fucked up. They're wrong with a drug that has been taken by hundreds of millions of people. All drugs are toxic. The poison is in the dose, of course. Aspirin is toxic. Jack, you're crazy. Okay, go eat a bottle of it. And you'll die one of the most painful deaths a human can die as you bleed out of every part of your body. I mean, that's what that's what an overdose. So every medication, every drug is a poison. Every drug is a toxin. The key is taking enough to get the therapeutic effect without taking too much and causing harm. But there will be some harm anytime anybody uses any drug, some level. And some drugs are safer than others. Right. But there is some risk with using any, any medication. So hundreds of millions of people for 40 years used a medication that has risks for zero substantive reward, or the FDA Karens are taking away a medication that works. It could be either one. It just shows they can't be trusted. They can't have this authority, but they do. And there's nothing you can do about it. By the way, it kind of is a great time to pimp this shirt for John Willis over at SOE Tactical Gear. For those not watching it, it's, it's really cool. It's like an American flag 
And I really like this this style of design. It's not huge, John. Keep your designs a little smaller. You know, I think they just wear better. Um, but on the flag, it says defund politicians, defund politicians. That's who needs defunding. And I, I think maybe we need de- defund bureaucrats. Because the bureaucrats are even worse than the politicians. The bureaucrats never stand for re-election. Here's, here's my question that I would ask. But I've seen this very question asked by politicians of people in these types of agencies. Who got fired for this? It's 40 years ago, so the person's probably dead who approved it by now. But didn't somebody have the responsibility to be checking into this for the last, like, 15, 20 years? Who got fired for this? Did anybody get fired for this? How much money has this cost people that was spent? Like, And then my next question would be, if you fuck this up, could there be some other far more risky medications out there that people are taking every day that doctors are prescribing in good faith and you fuck that up too? And, and when we find that and we find out you did it or your underling did it or your boss did it, is anybody ever going to get fired or are they going to get a job as a lobbyist and then go back to work in that same agency with more power. We all know what the answer to that is. And I'm back to the purpose of the system is what it does, not what it claims to do. What is the purpose of the FDA? The purpose of the FDA is to ensure that pharmaceutical companies make lots of money. That's its purpose, because that's the only thing that it really does well. Tell me anything else the FDA does really well. Tell me. This is the same organization, by the way. There was a baker, I believe it was in California, I could be wrong about the state, back in the 80s, that made this bread, and they put a certain amount of nutrient in it, certain specific minerals and vitamins and all. They were like immune boosting or something like that. I remember reading this in a book, and it was 25, 30 years ago I read it, so I won't get every detail right. But they made a claim that it was good for, like, supporting the immune system or something like that, but they didn't word it exactly to what – there's loopholes There's needle threading you can do to get through that. The FDA came in. That same fucking Karens here that did this shit with this drug, they told you it was okay to take for 40 years, doesn't do anything. And they said, this bread is now medicine. It's now drugs. All this bread is drugs. Nothing in the bread was a drug. The way they described the drug made the bread a drug. And the baker said, okay, we'll get rid of it. Can we give it to the homeless or something? No, they destroyed it. The FDA went in, find them, and destroyed all the bread. Hungry fucking people sitting out in the street. Fuck them. They can't have this. It's a drug. And they, the bakers even said, if we make the same bread, but we don't say this about it, is it okay? Yes. The purpose of a system is what it does. The only beneficiary to the action they took on these bakers was drug manufacturers. Drug manufacturers. Who else benefits from the FDA? I don't. You don't. What did Trump do that they hate? Right to try. If there's a drug that might work and you are at end of life and you have no hope without it, you get to try it. Even though it's really hard to do, he did that. Well, who does that threaten? Drug makers. You would think that benefits drug makers. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Drug makers only want their drug approved when they want it approved. They don't want it being used early. You see, there's something called planned obsolescence, right? And, and, and there, every time a company, and I'm going to use a different example, one I have personal firsthand knowledge of that has nothing to do with drugs here and wasn't regulated like this so they could really get away with anything they wanted. 
I used to work for a company called Fluke Networks. Now, if you know Fluke Multimeters, same world, different subsidiary of a larger corporation called Danaher. Fluke Industrial makes electrical test equipment and shit like that. We made network test equipment for computer networks and stuff. I was the regional sales vice president of the Northeast United States for almost four years. And in that time, I was able to watch new product come out. And we would have the product ready to go. I and my sales force would carry a quota based on having this new product available, let's say, for nine months of the coming year that we were going to be judged on. Three months goes by. That only leaves nine months left in a year. No freaking product. Do we have the product? Yes. Can we get the product onto distributor shelves? Well, no. Well, why? Because we're not ready yet. But it exists. Like, what I'm saying is, if we wanted to, could we? Oh, yeah, we could do it if we wanted to. Why aren't we doing it? Because the number crunchers were figuring out when the optimum time was to maximize profit, bringing this product out. Because we wanted to clear the inventory of the lesser product first. But we wanted to specifically clear that inventory into places where it would not conflict with the new product. It wouldn't be like, well, I have this already, so I don't need the new one now. So we were specifically pushed to push the product inventory into places where money really wasn't an issue, where we could go back and upsell them later and they would still do it. They didn't want us selling this equipment to, let's say, your small cable and jack installer that has, you know, uh, 15, 20 employees. They wanted us to string those guys along because they would just be like, okay, we're good for a couple of years now. That's what they're doing. So when you think that a drug company wants their drug approved as fast as possible. It depends on the situation. If you're talking about Johnson and Johnson or Pfizer, right? Somebody like that, that has a lot of drugs on the market already. They want to time that. The other thing they want to time it to, they want to time it to rate when the generic becomes available. So again, what did Trump do? He told the truth and he put the people first in that instance, not everywhere. Trump, was a good and a terrible president at the exact same time. On some things, he was outstanding. His mouth got him into a lot of trouble, and he was an asshole to people, which is a bad thing to do in politics because they already hated him. I, I guess he felt like he had nothing to lose. That's why a lot of people loved the guy, but it made him very ineffective. He could have done so much more, and he'd probably be still president, and he probably wouldn't be looking at charges because if the guy wasn't running again, they wouldn't have brought any of these charges. Don't I'm not going to take the show down that path. Let's go somewhere else. Now, let's talk a little bit about some gardening shit here at the end. So it's not all this current events and blood and gore and crap and things you can actually use in your home. OK, um, I had an email from somebody who said, I grew Trumbachino squash this year. Did yours produce? Because all I got were male flowers. If she had sent me this email in May. I would have said, you probably have nothing to worry about. Just wait, and you'll you'll get female flowers. But as far as did mine produce, uh, let me, real quick, I'll be right back. Yeah, mine produced a little bit. Yeah, my Trumpachinos had no problem producing at all uh, this year. But let's, don't fall. All right. <laughs> By the way, I'm going to probably... Uh, go ahead and cut that one up and have seed available for barter at uh, TSP 23. Just saying, if you're coming, you might be able to barter from some seed out of the Grand Champion squash for the year there. It's got the genetics. Um, 
But in general, this is how squash plants work. They have male and female flowers, and it's really easy to tell. Your female flowers will have a little bitty squash, and that blossom will form at the end of that little squash. And if it gets pollinated, then that squash will start growing. If it doesn't, that squash will wilt away and die. And genetic adaptation, the squash, it's intrinsic wisdom, right? And I'm not anamorphizing a squash now, right? Vegemorphizing, I don't know how you would put it, right? I'm not saying they think like we do, but there's an innate intelligence in all living things. And the squash, for lack of a better term, knows or has evolved due to the fact that it must have pollinators around to reproduce. Unless you have a gardener and the squash doesn't know it has a gardener, right, that will go around and manually do some pollinating, it needs bees or other pollinating insects. So what they do is they've evolved to produce a shitload of male flowers first. The pollinators are now attracted. And if the male flower doesn't get pollinated, it doesn't care. It was it's, it's useless without a female flower. And the plant hasn't given up the energy it takes to make that little uh, mini squash. It hasn't lost uh, it, it's it's ROI on energy is, is good at this point, right? It takes a lot more energy for that plant to make a female blossom. So it attracts pollinators for a few weeks. Then it starts putting on female flowers when the pollinators are now attracted. And so that's why you always get males first. However, and if you go to almost every website that, that talks about this issue, they will all say, don't worry about it. There's nothing wrong. That's not always true. When you never get them. There's two things that can happen. One, the vine borers came and killed your squash, and it would have happened, but it didn't. That's possible. Again, getting an email in September about this, I'm thinking that's not what happened. A nutrient deficiency can cause this. And the primary nutrients that I would look to in this situation are uh, calcium and magnesium and or zinc and iron, which are all part of my fertility program, and I have products on the website at the Survival Podcast, you can just source for calcium or source for zinc or magnesium or iron. Now, here's the thing about the products I recommend. And if you want to use a different product, I don't care as long as they're both present. Calcium and magnesium are a pair. You need one so that the other can be absorbed, just like humans. Plants need calcium and magnesium. If you can give the cal- all the calcium you want to the plant, if it doesn't have magnesium, it can't absorb it. And in really hot weather, it'll have a hard time getting calcium out of the soil, even if the magnesium is present. So you want to use a liquid product that can be foliar sprayed on the plant so it can go in through the the stoma, I think, the little pore that opens on the leaves. And you want to spray the bottom and tops of the leaves. The same thing is true with uh, iron and zinc, right? If either is deficient, it can't absorb the other. So that's why I recommend, that's why most products come as an iron zinc or a CalMag. And that's the most likely nutrient deficiency. But a potassium deficiency can cause this as well. So a good broad spectrum fertilizer. And people would say, well, the plant grew really well, so it's not got a deficiency. It can be just under the required amount where vegetative growth is supported, but the formation of the female blossoms isn't. So if you ever have this problem, those would be the first places I would look. A good high phosphorus fertilizer plus CalMag and zinc iron supplementation. If you wanted to figure out which one it was, test your soil. That would be one thing to do. Uh, The other thing you could do is kind of like treat different plants with different things. And the one that starts working 
that would narrow it down. But then you're giving up production for that year. That's probably what it is. Uh, next, I had a guy email me, and he's like, hey, man, I grew that pink Chinese celery that you recommended from Baker Creek. It's beautiful. Looks great. It's pink and white and cool, and it's awesome, and it grew great. And it's bitter as shit. All right, so when you go to the store and you buy celery and it's not cut up, it's a, a bunch, right? It's in a very tight bunch. And they put it in that plastic sleeve. That sleeve's not why it's tight. It grows that way. And it can either be bound up or another way that they grow celery is, especially in really sandy soils, and this is why you'll find a lot of dirt uh, inside your celery up a few inches, they'll dig a trench. And they'll plant the celery in the bottom of the trench. And once the celery starts to come up, they'll backfill the trench, and that will naturally do what's called blanching. If you've ever grown cauliflower, to get good cauliflower heads to form, once they start to form, you take all of the leaves and you bundle them up around the cauliflower head and you tie them. We used to use, like, old rags and shit like that when I was a kid. We grew cauliflower in Pennsylvania. And that makes a nice, tight and sweet cauliflower head where you get this gnarly because it will turn into basically what it really is, is flowers. If you've ever let cauliflower or broccoli go to seed, the part you eat turns into a flower, right? That's where it reproduces its seed from. So you're preventing that. So broccoli, we just cut it before it happens. Cauliflower, we blanch it so that it can get nice and big. Well, that's what they do with celery. And so that's why your outer stalks on a celery bunch are somewhat bitter and tough compared to your inner ones. The more light they get on them, the more chlorophyll is active and the tougher and more stringy the celery gets. That's why, again, your celery heart is that really light colored, like white or light green. And it's very tender and it's sweet and your outside is more bitter. So most of the celeries that we tend to grow as home gardeners, like you can grow tall Utah or something like that, and you can blanch into it. Most of them are designed to be cutting celeries. A cutting celery is more of a culinary celery. You treat it more like an herb. They're great for making mirepoix and stuff like that, or small amounts of them in a salad where the bitterness plays with the other things that are sweet, and then they're much better. However, you can blanch any celery and you will get a very similar result. Once that plant really begins to form, again, you can either backfill a trench or you can take uh, uh, like a, old T-shirts. We used, that's what we used to make most of our rags out of was old T-shirts. And you just tie the bunch together and let it continue to grow to the size that you want. And your inner pieces of that celery will just be much more tender and sweet. Now, pink Chinese, European cutting celeries, Japanese cutting celeries, etc. they're always going to be more assertive than the varieties that we cultivate to sell to people that want to put peanut butter on. They just, they just are. But it's a fantastic culinary celery, and that's really what it's most used for. The other thing that's really great to do with these celeries is take the larger stalks and chop them up, dehydrate them, and use them in soups and stews because when you dehydrate a vegetable, you basically get rid of the water and you leave everything else behind. So when water goes back into it, there's an exchange and it pulls a lot of flavor out. If you want to see what I mean, take a handful of any vegetable that you like, celery, carrot, whatever, and chop up fresh and put it in a glass of cold water. 
throw it in the refrigerator and leave it there for a day or two and taste it. And you'll taste some vegetable flavor, like a vegetable tea you've made. Take a similar amount when reconstituted. So if you had a handful of fresh, a small amount of a de- the same vegetable dehydrated that will expand to about what you put in it, put it in a cup of water and let it sit overnight. Taste that water. It will have an explosion of carrot or celery or whatever flavor in it. So a lot of times when we're making uh, dehydrated vegetables or anything dehydrated, we're giving something up in texture and what have you. But when we're using them this way, we're actually gaining something if we use it properly. This is why if you use dehydrated vegetables and you rehydrate them, never throw the excess liquid away. Uh, Even if you don't have a use for it right now, put it in a jar, put a lid on it, throw it in a refrigerator and use it in your cooking. Use Use it as a kind of additive to like where you would use a vegetable stock. And by the way, it makes some of the best absolute best um, stock you can get dehydrated vegetables. Stocks and soups is just outstanding for it. Last, I want to talk about today's item of the day. And uh, this is an item I brought around a lot in August. I think the last time I brought it around was the end of August. And I was checking my sales records as an Amazon affiliate today. And they're still selling in September, even though I haven't talked about them in a couple weeks here, but three weeks almost. Uh, that's because they're such a good deal. These are galvanized raised metal garden beds. And what they look like is an eight foot by four foot uh, oval ended stock tank. They look exactly like that, except they have no bottom. These are for growing uh, gardens is what they're for. They're for making garden beds. This was the top selling item, not just in dollars, but in volume. I sold more of these in August than anything else on TSPAS. Several hundred of them. I have had no complaints at all. What I have had is a variety of people saying, what do I fill it up with? Because it's deep. And you, if you're going to go out and buy dirt, you can easily spend more money filling this thing up than it costs. When you do raise beds, if you don't have a supply of soil available to fill them with, you find out that the money ends up being in the soil which is, it makes sense, right? And I would say that, except now lumber is so freaking expensive. Thank you, Brandon. Um, that it's, it's, maybe it's half and half, right? But two feet is a lot. And as you guys know, I build my raised beds about two foot tall. I do them with landscape timbers. Let me tell you something. Those things look great. If this shit had been around, if I had been aware of these, when I built all those raised beds, this is what I would have. The value on these is great, but since it's galvanized and we don't have to worry about wood decomposition or anything, it really opens up kind of a light version of fugal culture as an option. And I would fill this thing at least one foot with branches, leaves, wood chips, woody material. And if you have access to like when we lived in Arkansas, we built our hoogles. We literally drove up and down the mountain and went in the woods and picked up, like, rotted logs and shit like that that were full of fungus already and already spongy. I would fill them about halfway. Then, minimum, I would saturate them. And this is what I did in some of my beds. I filled them up, like, 10 inches deep in wood chips because I have tons of wood chips in my field. Liquid kelp. I might do some other things. But I would create a mineral reservoir in that 
and give them something to bind up with. And I would personally, I would also use a cup like per bed, maybe two cups, three cups of a product that's on my site as well through TSPAS called Cavern Culture. It's made with uh, guano, but it is infused with a massive amount of beneficial fungi. And so you're infusing these now wet wood chips with beneficial fungi. And I would just take, you know, again, a couple cups of this stuff per bed and a light dusting across the top. And then I would probably put somewhere in the neighborhood of a pound of a good multi-spectrum organic fertilizer there to give it some nitrogen to bind up with, but not to give it so much that it instantly starts composting. I don't really want heat, though you could this time of year. You could put a few pounds of blood meal down there and you would have a slow compost going on down there, then bonding with the carbon and it would actually warm your roots. Right. So depending on where you are and what you want to do this fall, this time of year, that could be a play you'd make. But it's not what I would do. Maybe a pound, two pounds of a good multi-spectrum fertilizer. Uh, Specifically, in my opinion, Dr. Earth is the way to go. And you can buy direct from them with a 10 percent discount if you're an MSB member or you can get them on Amazon through my links, either, either or, because they are a discount provider. Uh, Eco Mouse is saying azomite helps. I love azomite, and I love rock dust and all green sand and all that, but I would I would probably not put that down in the wood. I'm going to put that up in my soil level. And then you are only filling about half of the bed with soil. And then remember this, there is no need, I will say it again, there is zero need to fill your bed all the way up. In fact, I think that's a mistake. I like my beds filled up to where there's a couple inches from the top. So if we have a two-foot bed and a one-foot layer of woody material, some dirt might trickle in depending on what kind of woody material we're using. But we only need to fill up now 10 inches of soil. That's a lot less soil. That's tons less per bed, literal tons less. And so that's what I would do. And then I would you know, amend my soil as necessary. One of the reasons I like leaving that space is I like to mulch. So if you have that lip on your bed, when you mulch, it doesn't all fall off. Yeah. And I like to add compost every year and I like to scatter mulch and things like that. So it holds everything in. And honestly, there's no reason you couldn't leave it even three inches deep. Um, and and that's that's the way that I would kind of lasagna garden with these things. And if you said, well, if I have access to lots of different woody material options what would be my best bet? Wood chips, especially when we're trying to basically save space, because if you can get them for free from like tree trimmers or something, which is how I got. Well, I didn't get mine exactly for free. Every time they dump one of those big ass trucks of them for me, I went out and bought like a couple 12 packs of beer and left them for the guys because I figured that way they would come back. And that shit does work. That works way better than chip.io or whatever, where you're supposed to be able to request like that. I, I know it's worked for some of y'all. It's never worked for me. And it can be as easy as drive around. If you see guys doing trimming work, say, hey, dump that shit in my field. I'll give you a couple cases of beer. They might even say, I don't need the beer. I, you know, okay, I might do it anyway. What do you drink? Right? Because it, goodwill goes a long way. Um, if I didn't have as many as I had, what I would do, I have a place near me called Silver Creek Materials that I buy stuff from when I can't get it. And there's people that literally take their shit to there and pay them to take it they take the wood chips and run them through a finer chipper and either make compost or sell it as mulch and sell it back to the public i would sit if i had a place like that near me and i couldn't get it any other way i would sit down there 
and I would write the name. I would sit there, you know, sit down, put a podcast on, Jack's podcast or whatever, sit at the, the entry point for about an hour and write down the name of every marked truck that goes in there with a load. Do it in the evening. They're generally dumping in the evening, right? You see those trucks going in the morning, they're usually picking material up. So I'd write them down and I'd start making phone calls. Because what you might find is the guy that you talk to driving the truck doesn't give a shit because he gets paid to drop it off and sit in line and wait to get in. And it's not his money. But you start talking to people that pay bills, like, really? Well, how much can you take? How much you got? That type of thing. Because I probably got 50 yards sitting in my field right now. And so that's what I would do. All right. Uh, Zone 6 Eric says biochar. I would absolutely use biochar. I would not use biochar in that wood layer. I'm going to put biochar in the soil and specifically the upper layers of the soil is where I'm going to want to do that. I want you want to always charge your biochar up and make it inhabitable for microorganisms. And the simple, easiest way to do that is put it into your compost. So when you're adding compost, it's top dressing and all you're constantly adding carbon to your soil. That is that is what I would do personally. And maybe if I was putting a new bed in today, Maybe before that last top dressing, I would put down a scatter of, of biochar as well, charge the biochar. All right, guys, with that, let's go ahead and uh, wrap up. We don't really need to do a T-SPAS item of the day because I kind of blended it into content today. But I'll just say that at any time, if you're going to do some online shopping, if you go to tspaz.com first, you can help us out no matter what you eventually buy, whether it's the stuff we talked about today or not really doesn't matter. I'll also remind you guys about the MSB or Member Support Brigade. I just recently picked up some um, cannabis products from one of our suppliers called Akira Botanicals, A-K-I-R-A Botanicals. We have several in the cannabis space. I really like them. It was a rather large order. I saved $55 using my own discount code from my own program. My membership is $50 a year. That one order, if I was a paying customer like you would be, would have covered my my membership for a year. I'd help supporting the show. And if you use cannabis products at all, and you are not an MSB member, you are throwing money away and you hate money. You should not be doing that. We have suppliers of just about everything that you can legally purchase on the internet anyway uh, in that market. And we have some great suppliers uh, of that stuff, uh, Brave Botanicals uh, and uh, Ashley's Garden, uh, Angie's Garden. Uh, if you want a sleep aid, I mentioned Akira, but Angie's, their CBN, I think it is, their sleep aid product. I'm going to tell you that stuff, if you're using it when you go to bed, don't use it till you're ready to go to bed. It is not optional. It doesn't make you high or anything, but when I say knock you out, I mean knock you out, sleep until the next day. Uh, so do consider being an MSB member if you're not one already. I do have a few questions uh, starred that I'll hit before we completely close up. Uh, five to be exact, a couple from EcoMouse, TechSoul, 229, Mick, and Bill. If you have a question for me and you didn't just hear your name, I didn't see it because I only got one good eye, um, go ahead and uh, put question in all caps, just like you're going to see EcoMouse's question here, and I'll do one more round before I leave. I'll check the other side and see if there's anything there. Uh, a question from EcoMouse, Raisin Berkey, perhaps removing the fluoride is deemed as insurrection, and it lifts the veil to show the man behind the curtain. Nothing to see here. Move along, move along, drink water. Maybe, maybe, but it's not the fluoride filters that they've attacked. But it wouldn't be the first time you attack something to shut it down, right? Uh, attack the vulnerable underbelly, the soft underbelly. 
Um, they're attacking the regular carbon filters, which, of course, with a Berkey, do not remove fluoride. The government is very protective of its fluoride program, though, and they won't tell you that, and this is a God's honest truth, most of the fluoride in this country comes to us from China, and it's literally removed from st- smokestacks, and it's considered an environmental toxin. And if you took the same fluoride they put in the water you drink and you dumped it into a lake, they would put you under the jail for violations of the Clean Water Act. It is a toxin. It's okay for them to feed it to you, but you better not put it in water. Period. It is a dead fluoride in a high enough dose is a deadly poison. And in a low enough dose, it is a was I'm trying to think of how I can describe this. It does things to the person's mental status. Okay, that that's that's what it does in small amounts. And there's historical examples from certain places that's been used specifically to do that. You can dig into that if you want. The idea that we protect our teeth by drinking fluoride-laden water is preposterous. It would be like saying that we can protect our face by drinking suntan lotion. There is no need to consume fluoride at all, even if you want fluoride on your teeth. It's called fluoride toothpaste if you want fluoride on your teeth. Um, It's also one of those things kind of left around from when this country had a lot of problems with nutritional deficiencies and poor hygiene and other things like that. It's it's a legacy. And here's the thing. The point of the system, the purpose of the system is what it does. Well, it is to make money. That's what that's the number. It's less about controlling you. Right. And it's more about making money and figuring out how to get rid of a product that otherwise would be considered a pollutant and extremely difficult to get rid of. So now you can get paid to get rid of something that otherwise you couldn't get rid of. Okay, Uh, Bill says question off topic. Will Muscovy make good jerky if you don't have time and no big deal? Bill Muscovy duck. I don't know that I would make jerky out of it. And it's not because I don't think it would make a decent jerky. I think you've sinned against duck if you don't make like a duck bacon or a duck prosciutto out of a duck breast. And so it would be a similar curing process. But and, And curing duck breast is a great entry point into meat curing. It's a very small piece of meat, so it cures very well. Now, Muscovy breast is not going to make as good of a prosciutto uh, or a duck bacon as like a Rowan or a Mullard, which is where we take a Muscovy and cross it with a standard duck. Uh, They call them mules as well, because Muscovies don't have a really thick fat layer on them the way that a, 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 a Mallard breed duck does. So you won't have that fat layer, but it would still be delicious. And I would do that before I would make jerky out of it. Texel says, any non-duck solution to slugs and snails uh, on your brassias? Mechanical control would be your number one, going out and, and looking for them. Uh, number two uh, would be to water in the mornings versus the evenings. That gives them all night long in a nice, moist environment. Um, Bill Mollison has stated, and I've never found anything he stated to be wrong, that when slugs make contact with the ground and copper, it sends an electrical charge through them that they really, it's almost like having an electric fence. Of course, I guess you could make a little tiny electric fence and up the game a little bit with a little, like a 10 penny nail as a grounding rod and a nine volt battery as your charger. And so you, if you built like an erased bed, if you put a standoff of copper, 
all around it up off the ground. That slugger, that snail comes crawling up over, and what's in the front, for those that can see my hand, is eyes. And the first thing that he's going to touch on that wire is his eyes. That's from one of his lectures. That would be another uh, option that you could explore. Um, and then you have whatever's in the beds, but you're keeping them out, and that would be one way uh, you could look at that. Another thing is that they like beer. And so if you take something like a bowl – and bury it like it's a little pond in your garden and like halfway fill it up with beer, they'll crawl in there and then they'll drown. So they'll be attracted to the smell of the beer, but when they fall into it, like a coffee can is really great because when they fall in that, they're really screwed. So if you put the coffee can buried into the soil at soil level and fill it like an inch from the top with beer, you know, in they go never to return. And the longer and staler the beers around, the more that they'll go in there. So that's another way that you can control them. Anybody's got any suggestions for slug control beyond those, go ahead and put them in the comments so that we can uh, help everybody out. 229 Mix says, what was the plant you grew in the pond last year? I grew some and now can't remember what it's called. Bright green and long, thin leaves, and I think the stalks were part used as greens. The stalk and the leaves can be used as green for that plant. What you're talking about is a plant called Ipomira aquatica, also known as Kang Kong or Chinese or Vietnamese water spinach. Other than water chestnut, it is the most productive plant by square meter in the world that's edible anyway, that's commonly used as a food. It is extremely popular, as you might imagine with all those slang names, in Southeast Asia. Um, it is illegal to grow in some states. Sometimes people grow things they're not supposed to grow. I'm just saying. It is a member of the sweet potato family. And to make the stalks really palatable, you want to cut the part you want to eat before they're about as big as your little finger. As they get much bigger than your little finger, they get kind of stringy and tough. You can get seed on eBay. There's a, it's a difficult plan to get your hands on unless you live somewhere near like an Asian market. If you go to an Asian market that sells it, they'll usually sell it in bundles and they'll be sitting in water to keep it fresh. Because if it's not in water, it goes limp and not very happy very, very quickly. If you can get that at an Asian market and you go plant those stalks in really moist soil and keep it in shade for a few days, it will root and it will start growing and it will grow massively. Right now, uh, one of my water, my, my aquatic systems, I have three uh, six foot by two foot galvanized tanks at the top of it. They go along a wall and that wall is about 20 feet less the door. So we're looking at what about 16 foot, uh, going across that wall that I have lattice on. It is growing six foot up the wall right now. And it's four, uh, red solo cups with soil in them, each with a plant that did that because I stuck them in one of the, the, the ponds because I was going to do something with them later and I forgot about them and they took off and I didn't want to mess with them at that point. Uh, it's, you don't need a lot to grow a lot. Of them. They are fantastic. It is a delicious plant. You can cook the stems about like you cook green beans and they're delicious that way. Don't cook them as long though. It's a weird thing. They get tender. If you keep cooking them, they'll get tough. And if you keep cooking them, then they get mush. So you want to cook them until they kind of brighten up and then a little salt and pepper and done. The leaves you want to put at the end and kind of wilt them, treat the leaves like the nickname 
spinach. Like use them at the end like you would use spinach or arugula. Eka Mouse says, would adding biochar to a hugelkultur mound be counterproductive? I don't know that it would be counterproductive, and I think you're talking about adding it to the core based on your earlier comment. I don't think that it would really be that beneficial down in the carbon core. Uh, biochar really does a lot of its magic in the soil by its uh, process, which is known as adsorption, not absorption. Adsorption is a electromagnetic-like process where it literally binds with things. Now, it might provide a lot of housing for microorganisms down in that carbon core. I guess if you had a literal shit ton of it, it probably wouldn't be a bad idea. Personally, I think it's too valuable to drop down into the core of a Google Mountain. I would much rather have it in my soil layer, but that's just my opinion. And in many instances, even Jack is sometimes wrong. But I have never heard of using it in Hugo culture down in the core. Uh, Dead Rider says, what do you think of inoculation of biochar by putting it in a mesh bag and putting it in a swamp creek? It would probably work okay. I don't. You'd have to know what like your nutrient load in there is. I know one way that really works is if you have an aquaponics system and you build an ebb and flow bed like out of a 21-gallon uh uh, uh, concrete mixing tray and you let it ebb and flow in a deep, rich aquaponics system for about a week, it is fully inoculated. The thing is your nutrient level in your water will go to shit for a while while it's just taken up all it can get. A cool thing to do though, is you could keep, if you have an aquaponics system, a bed that basically just sits there empty and doesn't really do anything, or maybe you run it as it's it's set up to run as ebb and flow, but you run it as a flow through raft bed. And if you ever get it and keep some biochar around, that's not inoculated. And if you ever start to see a problem in your system, fill that sucker up and turn the ebb and flow on, right? Because you can run an ebb and flow as a flow through. It's all about where you set the standpipe, right? You can even leave it on a 1545 timer like I teach. And it'll run water through it every 15 minutes. And that's plenty to bring oxygen to your raft plants. But all you would have to do is drain it, fill it, and start running it, and it would clean that up. Um, but, yeah, I don't really think – it might. If it's really high in nutrient, I mean, try it. Try it and, and, and put it alongside something. And, uh, and, 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 and when you do that, see if it works and compare it – like. Grow some stuff that is like don't do legumes. Do something you know fresh biochar would have an adverse effect on, and trial it side by side. And do it. You can do it just in a you know do a lot of it. Do a few uh, little uh, little pots like you do starts in, and that that would show you if it's it's working for you or not. And I would do like three. I would do a couple plants that are done with a known inoculant. I would do some that's from the swamp creek, and I would do some with naked char. And compare the three. That'd be a good scientific way to figure it out. Um, Deborah just said, why does my trump, trump's not develop? The squash starts growing well, but the bloom never opens. It gets about two feet long and then starts getting soft. Um, so you're having a different problem. Your problem is not what the earlier question was, which is I thought where you were going. Maybe you just missed that part. So what she's having is the females are showing up but they're not forming. There's two things that can cause this. Again, a potassium deficiency. 
And that plant needs more potassium when it's fruiting than it needs the rest of its life cycle. That's likely. Another is that you're getting blossom end rot, which is a calcium deficiency. The most likely thing is you're not getting pollination. So um, the easy thing to do then is take take a, a male flower early in the morning when it's just open, break it off the plant, and pull the petals off the flower so that the uh, pollen is ex- the, the the stamen is exposed. And then just take it and use it instead of using like Q-tips or some shit like that. Just touch it to all your female blossoms as they open. One of the things I've had happen is I get out of time. And so my males will all be open and you'll have your females and they're not ready to open yet. And it'll be like two days later and the females open and the males are still there. But when you look, all the pollen's gone. And so it's not available. So if you see that happening, Real simple thing. Old school brown paper bag is the best. You can use something else, but it's kind of the best because it breathes and yet it's closed up. Pick some of your male flowers early in the morning. Put them in that bag. Keep them until you have open females and then use the pollen. That's that's another little hack. And if you're growing thousands and thousands of squash on a squash farm, you don't have time for this. But you won't ever have that problem because there'll always be something time together. You grow on a few plants, sometimes you just get out of time. So it's either a nutrient deficiency or it's uh, it's it's getting uh, it's, it's just not getting pollinated. Uh, Christopher says, what happened to the aquaponics program we were making? Uh, first of all, it wasn't aquaponics. It was aquatics. Second, I have just had not had the time to actually go ahead and do it. And I had a lot of the program developed when I had that computer crash back last year. And I didn't necessarily lose everything, but it was very disruptive. It kind of derailed it. And I have to decide if it's something I really want to do because the the bite I'm taking off of something to build something that significant um, is, is significant, right? So I, I need to make sure I'm going to sell enough of it because it's going to take months of work to put together. Uh, Liberty Garden said, Jack, regarding potted plants in double-walled pots, about 25 gallons. I've noticed that in summer, the soil five inches deep feels hot. Is this bad for the plants? It generally is. It is possible that it is being heated up by the sun. In that case, what you need is to put some sort of facade around it. It's also possible that you've mixed something that's composting actively in there. And that is always bad. You do not want heavy active composting going on while you're trying to grow. You'll burn the roots up. So, my question would be to you, are your plants doing well? If your plants are doing well, don't worry about it. If your plants are suffering and that soil's hot, you either need to shade the pot in some way uh, or you need to go ahead and figure out why that's happening. So, like, you have the same pot from last year with the same soil in it, and it doesn't happen again this year. Or if it goes away and it's still warm out, then you're probably okay and it's probably what you had. Uh, Grumento says, why do New Yorkers continue to vote Democrat? Uh, good question. You should ask people that are in New York to vote Democrat because I don't have a good answer for you. Uh, it's not like they always did. Giuliani was a Republican. New York has had Republican uh, mayors before. Right now, most people who will vote Democrat at all are voting Democrat. And it's because we've been so polarized. So your independents that lean Democrat are solid Democrats right now versus true independents. And that has a lot to do with Trump and the hatred of Trump and the maligning of Trump. Right. So there's hatred that's legitimate and there's a lot that's bullshit. 
It's just fake shit that the TV tells you. And there are people that have bought that so hard that they won't vote for a Republican that's not Trump. And I mean, let's be honest. If you put a Republican in charge of New York City, you're not putting like a Texas Republican in charge of New York City. You're putting a Texas Democrat in charge of New York City is what you're doing. Now, now not a Dallas Democrat, but like you're like a rural Texas Democrat is who you're putting in charge of New York City. You're not you're not going to get even even a typical rhino garden variety rhino uh, is not going to win. it. You're getting a Chris Christie or some shit like that. But it'd be interesting. Can New York City even be saved at this point? Because I, this is going to be my last one, guys. So, because I, I got to wrap up, we're at a minute and thirty-nine, one hour and thirty-nine minutes now. Um, but my theory, we talked earlier about how all of this is being done intentionally, is that it's being done intentionally so that it is not undoable, so that it can't be fixed. And I think New York City might be far enough gone that maybe it can be fixed, but you're maybe talking decades. And one of the things that was really accurate that, um, what's his name now, the Unabomber, right? Uh, Uncle Ted, Uncle Ted Kaczynski put in his manifesto. Whenever I talk about this guy in any way other than completely hateful, there's always, you're supporting a murderer. Shut up and stop listening to me if you're going to go there, right? Because I cannot help somebody that's that brain dead. You're thinking just like these people. But one of the things that he said in his manifesto that was absolutely true, is you don't want your side in charge in a crisis. You want the other side in charge in a crisis. And I don't mean the made-up crisis, like a real crisis that's really hurting people. You don't want to be in charge. You want the other guy in charge when there's a crisis so that you can sit on the outside and go, see what he did? Even if your side fucked it up. You want to be out of office when the crisis is raging so that you can then say, I have the solution. And the problem with that is with a long term problem is you say you have the solution. Sure, you get elected, but then you can't fix it. So the other guy says it's your fault and it just keeps getting back and forth, back and forth. And it never if there is a side that could fix it, they never stay in power long enough to fix it. And this is cloward, uh, cloward proven strategy is what you're looking at right now. If you want to look that up to learn more about, because I certainly can't go into that today, but it is destruction of our way of life intentionally. It's, it is a vindictive destruction of Western culture. And it is because there is a, an agenda for globalism. And you can say I'm a conspiracy theory and I'm wearing a tin hat or whatever. You give me a more plausible explanation then. This many smart people are disincompetent at all times and in Europe and the United States simultaneously at the same time. Sure, sure. I'm the conspiracy theory, right? Right? I mean, you, not you, not the person who just believes what the TV says, right? I I am not a conspiracy theorist. I'm I, I am a, 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 a I am a plot spoiler. I just tell you what's going to happen before it does, and I sound crazy until it does. Anyway, guys, I gotta go. Hope you enjoyed our first day back this week. I know I did. I'll catch you tomorrow with another episode, and uh, we'll rock on through the week. You should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month.